I'm glad to greet you, and I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6. My wife Kim and I are so delighted to be with you today and with your pastor and with uh, Carla. I was once their pastor when they were students, and Carlos was an intern on our staff after he finished at Auburn University. And they are some of our favorite people in all the world and dear friends. And I told the earlier hour I need to get some credit for uh, having you having Carlos as your pastor. Twenty-something years ago, Buzz Emerson phoned me and said, we need a pastor. Can you recommend someone? And I said, sure. Your man is Carlos Sibley. And I was right. I didn't even have to pray on that one. I knew he'd be a good fit for a university town. And uh, we follow with interest what God is doing and has done here across these years. And he still hasn't taken me for a ride in that new pickup truck you bought him. Maybe after big church today, Carlos, you can take me to... McDonald's and buy me a Big Mac and we can ride on on that truck. Well, I'm always happy to have a chance to preach from the Word of God, and especially in a in a uh, uh, where there's a focus on taking the gospel to the nations. Uh, quite frankly, uh, there's nothing I'd rather preach on unless it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to call to your attention the card that you were were given when you came in. Just take that quickly, please. Uh, I'm not going to preach from the card. I'm just going to begin there. And uh, I just rejoiced in my spirit when I saw this card when I came in today. I didn't know this card was going to be a part of uh, the material given to you. But here are these opportunities for you to go serve the Lord and bear witness to the gospel in the year 2022. For students and college and grad students and families and adults and uh, spring break and summertime and uh, across the United States and to the ends of the earth. And what an extraordinary grace gift it is for you to be a part of a church that has as its heartbeat to take the gospel to the nations. That that in itself is, is very, very rare. And you are privileged to be a part of this uh Uh, this church that thinks beyond the city limits and beyond the county line and thinks about uh, the great needs to take the gospel uh, to the world. And uh, I want to speak to you today on this subject, who will go? And uh, who will go from First Baptist Church, Watkinsville, for uh, a few weeks or a week at spring break or for a few weeks uh, next summer or who will go for uh, two years as a missionary uh, journeyman or who will go for a lifetime to those places that are listed there and who among this uh, church fellowship will go uh, to the Hindu world uh, basically in South Asia almost one billion people on planet earth are practitioners of the Hindu religion. Having been to South Asia many times myself, I've seen those those Hindu temples and I've seen the devotion of those uh, uh, 
Hindu religionists uh, without any hope of salvation. Uh, who will go to the Buddhist world? Almost 500 million Buddhists in the world. Who will go to the Muslim world? Uh, 1.7 billion Muslims. In some ways, their religious devotion changed those of us who named the name of Jesus Christ. I've, I've been in the Muslim world. I've heard the, the, the call to prayer five times a day. It first sounds before the sun comes up. It's an eerie sound. And they're so fanatically devoted to their false religion. And we'll never, ever change them by military might, as important as it is that we defend ourselves but they will be changed and transformed one by one by one by the power uh, of the gospel. And God is doing some extraordinary things today in uh, Iran, which we see as a, a, an adversary to our way of life. But the greatest church growth movement taking place in the world today is happening in the country of Iran. And we're seeing happened in Iranians coming to our city of Auburn, uh, coming to Christ. So who will go? And the answer is found right here in the word of God. In the 8th century, God called a man by the name of Isaiah to speak prophetically for him. And Isaiah's call to this prophetic ministry is recounted for us uh, in chapter 6. You would think you would give your call as Jeremiah did in chapter 1 of the prophecy of Jeremiah, but it's when we get to chapter 6 of Isaiah that we read of the call of God to Jeremiah. So with our Bibles in hand, would you follow along as I read now to you, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 8. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, or seraphim, we sang about seraphim this morning. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. They were calling out antiphonally. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, I have touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So the question of the hour is, who will go? Uh, that was the question that the Lord God Almighty gave to Isaiah. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? There are three, excuse me, four stages in Isaiah's call to this prophetic ministry. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that those four stages that characterize Isaiah's call to prophetic ministry 
are going to characterize the, your life if, in fact, you're going to be one of those persons who goes sometime in 2022 on a short-term mission or somebody who goes for a lifetime as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first stage found in verses 1 through 4 is this. Who will go? The answer, those who have experienced God's holy presence. It's highly unlikely someone is going to go on one of these short-term trips, and it's almost impossible to believe that someone would go for a lifetime who had not first had an encounter with our thrice holy God. Now, we see in verse 1, that Isaiah wrote, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fill the temple. There was a crisis in Israel. The king had died. He had ruled for 52 years, and now he was no longer on the throne. And uh, who would succeed him? And so I'm sure there was turmoil in the land. And it was in that very year that Isaiah had this encounter with God. And he said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Uh, there's a throne far greater than the throne of the king of Israel. And that is the throne of our sovereign God. King Uzziah was dead, but the Lord God of hosts was alive forevermore. He was and is, and as we sang this morning, always will be holy and sovereign over the universe. He rules and reigns from his eternal throne, and he rules and reigns in his church, and he desires to rule and reign in my life and in your life. So Isaiah saw the Lord. He had an encounter with God that was earth-shaking and life-transforming. And uh, we read that in verse 2, that above the Lord, in the Lord on the throne, above him were seraphs. Now it literally means burning ones. These are the holy beings that serve God. With each of these seraphs had six wings. This is a strange creature to our eyes. With two wings, they covered their faces, symbolic of their humility in the presence of God. With two, they covered their feet, symbolic of their humility in the presence of God. And with two, they were flying, symbolic of their service to God. And their service was the praise of God. Uh, they were calling out, verse 3, they were calling to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, this is as good a place as any to be reminded this morning that our God is a holy God. He is the thrice holy God of Israel. And nowhere in the scripture do you find a phrase like God is love, love, love. Or God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Or God is grace, grace, grace. Now, God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. Uh, 
But you do find in both Old and New Testaments that God is holy, holy, holy. Now, we have a whole Bible to describe our great and glorious and holy God. And, and uh, even in the, the vocabulary is inadequate in my estimation to describe just how great God is, how holy and righteous he is, how merciful and kind and loving. But if I had to use just one word, and we don't have to use one word, we have many words to describe our God. But if we had to just use one word, it had to be this word holy. We worship we serve, we love, we obey a God who is holy. And uh, he, he, he demands our worship. And uh, the most noble thing that we can give to our God is our worship. Nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing that you and I ever do, will ever do will surpass uh, the worship of our thrice holy God a God who is not holy is not worthy of our worship now far too many people today want to create a God in their image they want some kind of a, a celestial Santa Claus who passes out uh, gifts uh, at their request just push a button and he, God is he's there is our uh, you know our eternal bellhop no 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 our God is a righteous and holy God A.W. Pastor, a very prominent pastor, about 50 or 60 years ago, penned these words about God. We must not think of God as the highest in an, in an ascending order of beings, starting with a single cell and going on up to the fish and to the bird and to the animal and to the man and to the angel and to the cherub and to God. God is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For the guff that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. God is high and exalted. He is, he, he is the Holy One of Israel. And Isaiah encountered God, and his life was transformed. So the question of the hour is, who's going to go? And uh, the answer is, those who encountered and experienced God in his majesty, in his white hot holiness, like Isaiah did. If you've never had an encounter with God, I don't mean in the same way that Isaiah did, but an encounter with God, a personal encounter with God, it's highly unlikely you'd want to spend a lifetime in some difficult place in the world uh, serving him. So the question is who will go? Now the second stage here in Isaiah's call found in verse 5. Who will go? Those who have been broken by their own sinfulness will go. It's not enough just to encounter God in his holiness, but oh, we, we need to be broken before our holy God as uh, Isaiah was. Uh, look in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's apparent that Isaiah did not see himself as a man of unclean lips until he encountered God in his holiness. 
But when Isaiah saw God as he is, and then Isaiah saw himself as he was, a sinful man, a guilty man. And he said, I cried out, woe to me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah did not understand his own radical depravity until he experienced, the God, experienced God. But when he experienced God, he saw himself as a sinner. When he saw God in his holiness and himself and in, and, and in light of God's holiness, he was gripped with his own despair and cried out, I'm worthless, I'm undone. There's no hope for me. Now, the fact of the matter is we are sinners. Uh, when the Apostle Paul penned his letter to the church in Rome in chapter 3, he quoted passage after passage after passage from the Old Testament it began in verse 10 with, there's none righteous, no, not one, and concluded with verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we deceive ourselves if we think we're not so bad. If we compare ourselves with the people in the state penitentiary or we compare ourselves with the drunk passed out in the gutter, then we look pretty good. But the standard is not the the person that we think of as an evil person, the standard is God's white hot holiness. Our God is holy. And Isaiah experienced God and he saw in his own heart, he saw the wickedness of his own heart and he said, I'm lost, I'm undone, there's no hope for me, I'm ruined. Now the question is, have you come to the place in your own pilgrimage where you have Acknowledge and you see your own sinfulness, your own depravity before God. When I say depravity, I don't mean you're as bad as you could be. None of us are as bad as we could be. But we are radically depraved. We are, we are corrupted, body, soul, and spirit. We come into this world, the sons and daughters of Adam, with an Adamic sinful nature. We come as rebels against God. And we need to be transformed by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God. Salvation is not just a tune-up. Salvation is a complete overhaul. And Isaiah was broken by his own sinfulness and cried out, Woe to me. So the question is, who will go? And the answer is, those who have experienced God's holy presence those who have been broken by their own sinfulness. And then there's a third stage here in verses 6 and 7. Who will go? Those who have experienced God's cleansing from sin. We see this in verse 7. Here we find Isaiah experienced the cleansing touch of God. Verse 7, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is, in a sense, it's a shadow of the atoning sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Only God can forgive sins. And uh, the forgiveness that God offers to sinners is, is rooted in and founded in the, the, the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Uh, Christians aren't just nice people. Christians are new people. They've had a, a life-transforming encounter with God in which they have repented of their sins. 
and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross have been forgiven of their sins, cleansed of their sins, and made right with God, given right standing with God. One of the things that I do before I baptize a new believer is before they get into baptistry, I remind them uh, this, this water is not going to take your sins away. You're not getting baptized today to get your sins washed away. Your sin is so great in the sight of our holy God. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from your sin. It is because you have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ shed on the cross that you've been made new in Christ and your baptism is a public declaration that you've died to the old life and you've been raised to the new life with Christ. So it's, it's just inconceivable to me that someone would want to go as an ambassador for Christ, whether for a summer or for a year or for a lifetime, who had not, first of all, had a, a, an encounter with our holy God, come to see his or her sinful heart and trusted in God to, to it, forgive for, for your sins. If you look in verse 7, uh, the seraph said to, to uh, uh, Isaiah, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It, it, is, in the, it is in the blood of the Lamb of God that we find the forgiveness of our sins. So the question we're asking today is who will go? And the answer is, well, those who have had an encounter with our holy God, those who have been broken uh, uh, by their sinfulness, uh, those who have been forgiven of their sins through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fourth and final stage revealed here in verse 8 is, who will go? And the answer is, those who have heard God's voice and who say, here am I, send me. They've heard the voice of the Spirit of God. In Isaiah's case, it was obviously an audible voice. In your case, in my case, not going to be an audible voice, though God certainly could do that if he chooses to do so. I've heard the voice of God never audibly, sometimes it's been so clear and so powerful it might as well have been audible. So who's going to go? Those who heard the, the Spirit of God speaking to them. And uh, here's the question in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's Isaiah's response. Hear my Lord, send me. Sign me up. I want to go. Whatever you have for me. Now, it was a pretty tough assignment God gave him if you read on the rest of the chapter. But And to serve Christ it's not always easy. In fact, it's oftentimes very, very challenging. we got to hear the voice of God. Oswald Chambers said, and I quote, to be brought within the zone of God's voice is to be profoundly altered. The call of God is not the echo of my nature, but, the, but expressive of God's nature. The call of God does not consider my affinities or personality. It is a call that I cannot hear as long as I consider my personality or temperament. But immediately I'm brought into the condition Isaiah was in. I'm in a relationship whereby to God whereby I can hear his call. Now what God is saying here to Isaiah is, are you available? And Isaiah said, I am. I will go. 
I will go wherever you send me, God, but I'm available. Now, I want to suggest today that all of us, somewhere along the way, need to struggle with this matter of availability to go anywhere God sends us. And uh, I dealt with that within weeks after I graduated from college. I graduated from a Baptist university. I was a ministerial student at this university for three years. And uh, not once had I ever been confronted with the possibility that God might want me to serve him somewhere other than the United States of America. Tragic. Three years in a Christian school. But in December of 1970, I just finished school, a Presbyterian pastor friend and I uh, drove to the campus of the University of Illinois the last week in the year for the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Triennial Missionary Conference. There were about 17 or 18,000 students there from across the United States. We met in the basketball arena there on the campus of the university, stayed in the dorms. And for four or five days, all day, morning, afternoon, evening, we had great missionary speakers to challenge us. And on the last night, December 31st, just before midnight, we were, con we were confronted with the possibility and asked to make some kind of response. Is God calling me to go? And uh, the, the arena was full, floor was full of people. You couldn't have a come forward invitation because there was no space to come forward. But uh, the final speaker said, if you're willing to go anywhere and put no geographical limitations on your service to God, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I stood. And that was almost 51 years ago. Now, in the province of God, most of my ministry has been in Auburn, Alabama. But it's all been in the United States. In the province of God, I've been to 50-plus countries, not all of those uh, preaching, but many of them. And uh, God knows my heart. God knows that I would... I would have left 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago to go anywhere he sends me. My, my assignment for the most part has been Auburn, Alabama. But there's a willingness in my heart to go anywhere. And I want to suggest that you can't say that Jesus is your Lord until you've dealt with the matter of a willingness to follow him wherever he might lead you to go. It's impossible to say, no, Lord. You can articulate those two words, N-O, no, L-O-R-D, put them back to back. You can say them, you can verbalize them, you can vocalize them. But if you say, no, Lord, then Jesus is not Lord. And as our friend David Platt likes to say, just give God a blank check and let him fill in whatever he has for you. Just say, God, you have your way in my life. In the province of God, most of us will end up staying right here in the United States. But in the great sovereign plan of God, many 
if they hear the voice of God and respond as Isaiah responded, will end up leaving these shores and making their way to the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world, the Marxist world, and the world of secular and now, I believe, post-Christian, even pagan Europe to proclaim a Savior has come who is Jesus Christ the Lord. About 70 years ago, there was a student at Wheaton College who, age 21, wrote a letter to his parents. He said, we are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with. We are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit, sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Jim Elliott penned those words. Within a matter of a few years, he would be slain. His blood would flow in the river there in the jungle of South America as he took the gospel along with four of his friends who also were slain that same day by the Wadani Indians. But they came to faith in Jesus Christ. I do fear that far too many of us are no threat to the kingdom of darkness. But we should be. The real heroes, in my estimation, are not uh, in, the, in the Christian life, are not the well-known preachers that we hear on the radio and listen to on the television who write all the books. There's some good and godly men among that company of preachers. There's also some charlatans out there. Be careful who you listen to. The real heroes are the people that you and I, for the most part, never heard of. They're the people that are in the jungles of Southeast Asia, taking the gospel to some unengaged people group. They're high up in the Himalayas, taking the gospel to those who've never heard. They're on the, the plains of East Africa, taking the gospel to those without Christ. They're in the big cities like Kolkata and Delhi and Jakarta and other big cities around the world where there's little gospel witness. They're the unknowns, unknown to us, but known in heaven. Some years ago, I was invited to teach the Bible for nine days to our Southern Baptist missionaries from six countries in Asia, Southeast Asia. We gathered at Port Dixon at the Golden Sands Baptist Assembly located on the shore of the Straits of Malacca. It's an incredible privilege to get to know our missionaries there. While there, I met Tom and Gloria Thurman. They were in their last term of missionary service, and uh, they went out to East Pakistan. There was a war there and became Bangladesh. And they had another two or three years of service before they came home and retired, and they're back in the States in their late 80s, still serving Christ in a local church in Mississippi. I want to read you a portion of their last missionary prayer letter 
Mel before they came home for the last time. They wrote, after 34 years of service, these have been years filled with much joy. We have known the presence of our blessed Savior, and we thank him for his grace. We have nothing but gratitude and can only say, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of our great Redeemer's praise. There have been circumstances that we would not have chosen and they begin to list some of those circumstances. And when I read them to you, you're going to see why they would not have chosen these circumstances. I've been out there to Bangladesh. I've seen what it's like. It's one thing to go for a week or two. It's another thing to go for 35 years. Circumstances we would not have chosen, like earthquake tremors, leprosy. Gloria contracted leprosy. God healed her. Three robberies, four broken bones, 291 countrywide strikes, 186 flat tires, frequent electricity failures, struggle with a difficult language. They mastered it. Floods, cyclones, convulsions, one stabbing, famines, tidal waves, drought. That's what they experienced over their years. They continue, when he, Jesus, has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. He's quoting now from John 10. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We are leaving, but the task is not finished. We came because of the lost millions of the land. We keep wondering who will come to take our place. Into whose hands shall we place our missionary Bibles? Where are the youth whom God is calling to give their lives in service for the preaching of the gospel? Who will come to this land to search for the lost sheep? We thank God that one day he tapped us on the shoulder and said, I have a place of service for you. We have walked with him, and our joy has been full. I do believe the most spiritually alive people on planet Earth are people like Tom and Gloria Thurman and our missionaries on the front lines of gospel advance, pushing back the darkness, proclaiming a Savior has come, to those who've never heard his name. And I do believe God is speaking to some of you today about going for a lifetime somewhere in the Muslim world, the Buddhist world, the Hindu world, the Marxist world, somewhere in the world. And I'm praying you'll say yes. And I do believe that there are many of you who've never been on a week-long mission and the time has come for you to go with your church. So many opportunities here in the United States and internationally. This next year, 2022, can be a pivotal year in your life and in the life of this church.
May God give you the grace to be like Isaiah and say, here am I, send me. God, our Father, thank you for the privilege to speak to this First Baptist Watkinsville faith family today. Thank you for Pastor Carlos, what you have done here to mobilize this church for the nations. I pray, God, it's just a, a harbinger of even greater things to come in the days and years to come if Jesus doesn't come back first. We pray for workers for the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.